Chapter Twenty Nine of the Girls of Saint Wode's. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pam Castile. The Girls of Saint Wode's by L. T. Meade. Chapter Twenty Nine. Thirty Newbolt Square. Mrs. Atchison, although a most kind-hearted woman, an affectionate mother would, if she had spoken her innermost thoughts, have confessed that Belle was not at all to her mind. Being her daughter, she thought it her duty to be as good as she could possibly be to Belle, but she would infinitely have preferred a girl in the style of Letty Chetwin, a sociable, agreeable, pleasant girl, who would have done credit to pretty dresses, have won a desirable lover, and married comfortably. She would indeed have considered her cup of happiness complete had such a girl as Leslie Gilroy been hers. But Belle, being the child allotted to her by Providence, she was wise enough to make the best of her, not to attempt to turn her into any other groove, and to endeavor to counteract her eccentricities as far as possible. When Belle mentioned to her mother that she had invited a St. Wode's girl to stay with her, Mrs. Atchison was pleased. She went happily upstairs to see that Annie's room was neat and comfortable, the bed well aired, and all the necessary accessories of a bedroom as they ought to be. When her young guest arrived, she hurried downstairs to welcome her, and seeing that the girl looked forlorn and tired, with a droop about her lips and an expression in her eyes which quite went to the good woman's heart, she kissed her affectionately, bade her welcome, and took her into the drawing-room. "'You don't look well, dear,' she said. "'I am very pleased that Belle has asked you to stay with us. May I ask if you and my daughter are great friends?' "'No,' replied Annie. "'In fact, we scarcely know each other.' We did not live in the same house at St. Wode's, but we have met often. I happened to be at the Chetwins this morning, where Leslie Gilroy was staying, when Miss Atchison arrived and most kindly invited me here for a week. I was only too glad to accept the invitation, continued Annie, raising her pathetic half-starved eyes to Mrs. Atchison's face, for I have no home at present. Dear, dear, my poor child, that is truly sad, said the good lady. "'But you must tell me all your story later on. "'I am deeply interested in young girls, "'and any friend of my Belle's has my kindest sympathy. "'Now let me take you to your room.' "'Mrs. Atchison took Annie upstairs. "'She saw that the girl had hot water, "'said that Belle would be glad to lend her anything "'until her own truck arrived, and left her. "'But I don't like the look on her face all the same,' "'thought the good woman as she trotted downstairs. "'Belle was standing in the hall.' "'My dear,' said Mrs. Atchison eagerly, "'Miss Colchester has arrived.' Belle did not immediately reply. She was hanging her jacket on the hat-stand. She seldom troubled to take it upstairs. "'Yes, mother,' she answered, putting her hand to her forehead and arranging her short locks into position. "'But what about it? I thought naturally she would arrive.' "'She does not look very well, Belle. She seems so tired, and—I scarcely like to say the word—so hungry.' "'Oh, I dare say she is,' replied Belle, in a careless tone. She was always a good bit of an oddity, and in the pursuit of knowledge doubtless neglected her food. But as to her being ill, I think she is all right. She has worked rather hard, that is all.' "'Then we will give her a right good time, won't we, dear?' said Mrs. Atchison. Belle stared at her mother through her glasses, and again did not reply. 
She went into the drawing-room in her dusty boots. "'As we have a guest to-night, Belle, dear, and—what in the world is it, mother? What are you fidgeting so dreadfully about? Nothing, my love, only—would you greatly mind going upstairs to wash your hands, tidy your hair, and take off your dusty boots before dinner?' "'Oh, dear,' replied Belle, in an impatient voice, "'if I had thought Annie Colchester's being here would mean all this sort of thing, I would have thought twice before I invited her.' It was now Mrs. Atchison's turn to make no reply. She knew Belle quite well enough to be certain that it was worse than useless to argue with her. If she left that eccentric young person to herself, things as a rule turned out according to Mrs. Atchison's wish.' Belle hummed and hawed and looked very cross, but finally did leave the room. When dinner was announced, the two girls entered the dining-room together. Annie was only able to make a very scanty and imperfect toilet, for her clothes, which she had telegraphed to her late landlady to forward, had not yet arrived. They went down to dinner. The meal was a good one and nicely served. Annie ate heartily and felt considerably refreshed afterwards. She was tired, too. There was a sort of stunned feeling over her. If Mrs. Atchison only knew the truth, if she could guess even for a single moment that between Annie and starvation were only four shillings, would she not immediately think that she, Annie, had come into her house on false pretenses? People, as a rule, do not ask starving girls to partake of the comforts of their luxurious homes. There is the workhouse for such as them. Annie shivered. The idea of confiding in Mrs. Atchison never occurred to her. Meanwhile, that good and excellent woman had taken a fancy to the forlorn girl. She determined to give her a right good time, and to get at that secret which knitted her dark brows, and made her beautiful red-brown eyes so full of indescribable melancholy. Annie could not help cheering up after a little in the sunshine of this rare kindness. The little week which lay before her was an oasis in the desert. She would enjoy it while she could. She might gather some strength during these few days for the solitary and miserable time which lay before her, but, after all, her poverty was scarcely her worst trouble now. It was the thought of Rupert, the terrible and awful thought, that he had once more been guilty, that he had broken his solemn word, that the police even now were at his heels. "'What is to be done?' thought the wretched girl. "'How am I to help him?' Presently Mrs. Atchison suggested that they should go to bed. "'You can scarcely keep your eyes open,' she said, looking at Annie. "'Do go up to your room at once, dear, and have a long good sleep.' "'Not quite yet, mother,' said Belle, looking up from her book. "'I want Annie Colchester to help me with this translation. I know she has gone right through the sixth book of Herodotus, and I have not. I want her to help me with the translation of the story, which gave rise to the saying— what does Hippocleides care? Mrs. Atchison sighed and made no answer. A moment later she left the room. "'You are not dead tired. You are willing to help me?' said Belle, looking at Annie when they found themselves alone. "'I will help you, of course, Belle, if I can. I have read Herodotus and thought it splendid, but I do not know the story to which you allude.' "'Well, you can help me anyhow.' 
dear dear it does seem a pity that mother should have taken to you in this extraordinary manner i know mother's ways so well she will begin to fuss over you and then you will imagine all sorts of things but now if you will take my advice you won't consider yourself an ill-used martyr simply because mother has taken a fancy to you oh i have never thought myself a martyr said annie then for goodness sake don't wear that pensive air i wish too you would not open your eyes so wide it gives you a sort of starved look starved really bell i mean miss atchison you can call me bell while you are here it is shorter and more convenient i could not possibly miss colchester you the name is a great deal too long for everyday use you shall be anne or anne while you are here and now pray anne take this chair and let us get through our work they did so annie soon became interested she had considerable intellectual power and between them the girls worked out the problem with regard to hypocleids bell the first to recognize genius when she saw it clapped her hands with pleasure this is quite splendid she said i never could get at the bottom of that stiff rendering before i am delighted you are here we can become the very closest friends some day annie you shall come and live with me in my hostel mother does not yet know of my darling scheme poor mother herself must be excluded and she will feel it poor thing but i shall have quite money enough of my own to pay the rent of the house for a couple of years after i leave college let me see if you don't mind i'll get the money-box now and count my savings i declare i am getting quite miserly over this matter bell went to the other end of the drawing-room and from a desk where her own special treasures were kept took a square deal box from her pocket she extracted a little key fitted it into the box and opened it is it safe to leave so much money about in that careless way said annie who thought of her own four shillings and quite shivered as bell lifted out three canvas bags safe of course it's safe answered bell do you think our servants would touch my money besides they do not know it is here even mother does not know what this box contains she likes to dust the drawing-room herself and a few days ago she lifted the box and said whatever is in here bell it is so heavy i made no reply and she said i suppose love you are collecting coins i said yes mother i am collecting coins it was perfectly true wasn't it clever of me eh very clever answered annie with the ghost of a smile well now let us count you shall help me by and by with my dear hostel how happy we shall be the world quite out of sight we delving in the riches of the past oh happy happy maidens we will eschew marriage we will be nuns in the true sense of the word how silent you are are you not glad i cannot quite realize it said annie you will when you come to live with me you will when you come to live with me we won't need much furniture will we dear just the plainest rooms any spare cash we have will go for books first editions original manuscripts oh lovely lovely bewitching intoxicating i see myself as i shall be during all the coming years on to the decline of life absorbing more and more knowledge living above the world in it but not of it but you won't be in it when you are in your hostel said annie with a gleam of humour in her sad eyes you will be apart from it and that is not according to leslie gilroy's ideas dear pretty leslie said bell with sudden enthusiasm but the cares of the world have her in their grip i admire her more than any worldly girl i have ever come across but the world has her in its grip some day she will see her folly 
I hope to convert her to my views in the long run. That you never will, said Annie. Think so? Well, I don't agree with you. Now, let us count. The canvas bags were opened, and they did count, or rather, Bell did. The money in the bags amounted to nearly ninety pounds. How glad I am I did not buy that new summer dress, said Bell. My old serge does capitally. She held out the dusty, fusty garment as she spoke. That economy added three pounds ten shillings to my hoard. See, I will write down the exact amount. She took a sheet of paper, scribbled the sum in rough writing, and thrust it into the box. Eighty-nine pounds, seven shillings, and ten pence, she said. Even the pence are not to be despised. I shall be at St. Wode's until next June. During that time I hope to save, by the strictest economy, quite fifty pounds more. We can then start our hostel almost immediately. But what about food and furniture and all the rest of the things? Well, each girl, of course, must bring her own share. Wherever we are, we must live. Must we? said Annie, in a very pathetic voice. Why, of course. It is absolutely essential that each human being should have his or her modicum of food. Now, don't let us talk of anything so very elemental. Let us consider the charming picture which lies before us, a charming little cottage in the country. We shall get it for twenty pounds a year. The rest of the money will buy the furniture. There, Annie, you need not stay up any longer. You look as if you wished to sleep. Do sleep. Enjoy it. Look like an ordinary mortal to-morrow, for, if you don't, mother will begin to take to you more than ever, and that will not suit my plans at all. Annie went to her room. She was so weary that she could not even think any longer. The box which held her few possessions had arrived. She took out her nightdress and soon afterward got into bed. She slept heavily all night, but toward morning she began to have confused and troubled dreams with regard to Belle's wooden box. She wished she had not been with Belle when she counted her money. The thought of that money became an obsession and a dreadful nightmare to her. At seven o'clock the servant appeared with a daintily prepared tray containing tea. "'Mrs. Atchison hopes you are quite rested, miss. She says if you are at all tired she would like you to stay in bed for breakfast.' "'Oh, no, I am quite refreshed. Tell her I thank her very much,' said poor Annie. The girl bustled about the room, preparing Annie's bath. She then left her to enjoy her tea. Annie sat up and stirred the cream into the fragrant cup. "'How queer and dreamlike and wonderful all this is,' she said to herself. "'I, enjoying tea at this hour in bed, and drinking it out of such delicate china, and, oh, what a sweet little silver spoon! How pretty the room is, and everything belonging to it, and yet I possess only four shillings in the world. Mrs. Atchison is quite the sweetest woman I ever met. Oh, if my own mother had only lived, I should not be the miserable, hopeless creature I am to-day.' At breakfast— Belle was in the best of spirits. She also had dreamed about her hostel, and the thought of the money she had saved was reflected in her face. After breakfast she proposed to Annie that they should spend the morning at the British Museum. "'I can easily get you a day's ticket for the reading-room,' she said. "'You shall sit near me, and we can have a good time.' "'But perhaps Annie would rather not go to the museum to-day,' said Mrs. Atchison. "'She looks very tired, as if she had been overdoing it.' "'I assure you, mother,' said Belle, "'that most of the St. Wode's students have that sort of look. "'There is nothing whatever in it. 
the rosy cheek the bright eye which sparkles with no soul beneath the pouting lips full of rude health do not belong to the earnest student don't be alarmed about either of us pray we like our life and we mean to cling to it oh i am not at all anxious about you dear said mrs atchison you are always somewhat sallow but you look well now this poor child how very thin she is bell prepared to leave the room you will excuse me she said turning to annie i have to get back to my work do you mean to come with me or not i should like to come said annie well that is all right said bell slightly mollified you meet me in the hall in half an hour she dashed away and mrs atchison began to ask annie some impossible questions with regard to her health if i could but tell her the truth thought the poor girl if i could say will you tell me how long four shillings that means forty-eight pence will keep any girl in food and raiment i should be greatly obliged to you if you can solve that problem you would indeed be my greatest friend on earth but no no thought annie i cannot confide in her that would be quite the worst of all presently bell appeared and the girls set off for the museum on their way home bell went for a moment into a stationer's you need not come in she said to annie just walk slowly on and i'll soon overtake you annie had not gone a dozen yards before rupert came up to her i just thought i would meet you on the road home he said i have made up my mind i shall call on you at mrs atchison's this evening oh rupert surely you wouldn't dare dare said rupert why shouldn't i dare you are to introduce me to the atchisons as your brother as to that girl you are staying with any one can take her in i shall be at thirty newbolt square between eight and nine to-night look out for me and don't fail he nodded and walked away the next instant bell came up i saw you talking to a man said bell who was he do you know many men are you deceiving me annie colchester deceiving you what do you mean said annie if you contemplate marriage you had better tell me so at once notwithstanding all her misery annie could not help laughing the man i was speaking to is my brother she said your brother i thought you were an orphan and alone i have one brother his name is rupert and that was he why in the world didn't you ask him to come home with us I am sure mother would be delighted to see him he is coming to see me this evening said annie her heart in her mouth do you suppose that your mother will think that it is think what that he is taking a liberty of course not it is quite natural that a sister should like to talk to a brother and mother will be full of sympathy yes he is welcome provided he does not come more than once give him to understand please annie that we have no time to waste in idle conversation with him yes i will say it frankly if there is a creature in the wide world i thoroughly despise it is a man in his first adolescence at lunch bell mentioned to her mother that annie colchester had a brother and that he proposed to call that evening i shall give him a hearty welcome for your sake my dear said mrs atchison what a pity i did not know and i would have asked him to share our dinner it is very kind of you to see him at all said annie who felt more wretched each moment if mrs atchison really knew the sort of man she was receiving into her house would she ever forgive annie end of chapter twenty nine recording by pam castile